Uh, If you have your Bibles, we're going to continue looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16 through this kind of Christmas season. I'm taking it more kind of from a topical approach than I would from just like trying to actually pull out the meaning of this text and its context, which is what we normally do and what you ought to do when you read your Bible. I think the main point here is not about children or parenting, but the main point is how we are to come to Christ. And uh, we're going to talk about that next week at Christmas Eve. But I think there's a lot of implications for parents. And uh, last week what we said is that for parents, your number one goal, your supreme wish for your child, if you're a Christian, should be that they would know Jesus, that they would be blessed by Jesus, and that you should want to bring them to Jesus so that he might bless them just like the parents in this text that we are reading. And uh, we said we see three things in this text. We see what parents should do. We see what the church should not do, and we see what Jesus wants to do. And last week, I didn't tell you really what you should do. I just told you why you should do it. Uh, I tried to give you a motivation for it. And uh, this week, I want to look at the, the why you should do it, maybe in a more practical way. And I want to look at what the church should not do, because there's a big thing in here that we must be careful of as God's people. If parents are going to bring their children to the church so that their children might be blessed by Jesus, we have to be careful that we are not like the disciples. So let me read the text for us, and then I will pray, and we will jump in. Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to him in order that he, being Jesus, might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. Father God, children are a gift to this church. Lord, I pray that we would never forget it. And I pray, God, that as children come to this church, we would not be too busy for them, that we would not limit their access because of their age. Uh, God, you are very adamant that the children are welcome to come to you. Jesus, I pray that you would help us not be like the disciples in this text as a church. And I pray that as parents and as a church, we would represent and represent Jesus to kids so that they might know him and they might be blessed by him. God, it is in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. The, the way that we practically bring our children to Jesus so that he might bless them. You know, if Jesus were here physically, it might be easier because you could literally take him to, to Jesus and, and put them in Jesus' arm and have Jesus bless them. Well, you can't do that because Jesus is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. But the way that we do that, I believe, is by representing and representing Jesus to our children in the home, but also in the church. So church is not an event that you come to. I know I say this all the time. I've got this drum and I beat it until it's dead. And I'm going to continue to beat it. But the church is not an event. It's not a place. It's not a building. This building is nothing if it weren't for the people inside of the building. This building means nothing. It's just bricks. It's just stones. It's cement. There's nothing special or especially holy about this building. What is special and holy about about this building is the people that are inside of it. And so when we say, I can't bring my children to Jesus physically, I want to say in one sense you're right, but in another sense you're very wrong. Because what does Jesus call us? He calls us his body. Where is the presence of Jesus? It's with the people of Jesus. The way you get people to the body, the physical body of Jesus Christ, is by bringing your children to the people of God. Not just on Sunday for 60 minutes, although that's a part of it, but bringing them and grazing them in a a community, a local church. It doesn't have to be this one, but it ought to be a local church that you raise your children in if you want them to be blessed by Jesus, if you want them to know and see Jesus. Now, being in the church does not mean they know Jesus and they love Jesus. You know, you can go to Krispy Kreme and it doesn't make you a donut. You could come to a church and be a part of a church and it doesn't make you a Christian. But Jesus is uniquely here. And this is a place in which if you want your children to know Jesus... 
You should bring them here so that they could see Jesus. And when they see Jesus, behold Jesus, they believe in Jesus and Jesus might bless them. Now, it can't just be the church. It's got to be at home, too. That's why I say it's both of those things. And it's two things. It's, it's presenting and representing Jesus. That's why every week I get up here and I preach the gospel. The kids go in the rooms. Guess what they're getting? The same thing. They're getting preached the gospel. They're hearing stories of God. And they're hearing how Jesus has come to save them. How he's come to redeem them. How he's come to make them family. You're hearing the same thing that they're hearing. I'm just doing it at maybe a little different level. Uh, but not by much. You know, I feel like if, if I can't preach to children, I shouldn't be preaching at all. Because if a child doesn't understand it, then it's probably not supposed to be understood. And so what we're doing is we're presenting Jesus. And you ought to do that in your home. Don't, don't abdicate that to me. Don't delegate that to me. Don't think, well, I took my children to church. And if I was a really good parent, I put them in Christian school. You know, I'm, I'm just hoping that these people take care of my child's spiritual health. No, no, that's your job. When you go home, you ought to ask them, what did you learn in children's church? You know, what did you learn about Jesus today? You ought to pull out the Bible and pray and read it with them. You have to do your part as well. It has to be presented to them, not just at church, but also at home. But I, I think what often happens for you guys, because you guys are, you're, I'm preaching to the choir. You know, you're here. You know, the people I really need to preach this to are the people who are not here. But what can often happen with church folk like us is we get really good about presenting Jesus. You know, we catechize, catechize our children. We make sure we're in church all the time. We, you know, we make sure our children are hearing the message of Jesus. But where we kind of go wrong is we fail to present Jesus uh, with our actions. We fail to represent Jesus, rather. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is you can tell children all you want them to know about Jesus. You know, we could tell them uh, all 66 books of the Bible. They could memorize the entire Bible from front to back. And yet if they do not see the love of God in you and in us, all of it is for nothing. They will grow up and they will hate the church and they will hate God because the only thing they know about God is the church. And what they know about the church is that God is not very fun and God is very judgmental and God is not very loving. And why in the world would anybody want a God like that? Uh, had a realization uh, a couple, I guess it's almost been a year now, uh, but the, the blockers, Jen and Chad Blocker, uh, a part of our church, they haven't been able to come in a while, but they have a little girl named Emerson, and she was, uh, she's under two years old, I believe, and uh, she might have even been under one at the time, I, I don't know. She had to be over one because she was talking. But uh, uh, I, I was going out there with uh, Wendy to pick up her older two children uh, for youth because they live in Winoka. And we uh, picked them up, and after we picked them up and we left, uh, Jen said that Emerson told her after she said, she just randomly out of the blue said, I like God. And uh, her mom said, well, this is cool. My, my kid's having a spiritual moment. I like God. She said, what do you like about God? And uh, she said, well, God and Wendy are very nice. Because <laughs> she thought I was God. And uh, <laughs> she would be sorely disappointed if she knew the truth. And uh, it made a lot of sense because she was always, she would never talk to me. She was always quiet when I was around. Uh, she just kind of like scared of me. The poor girl thought I was God. And uh, I, I thought that was funny. That was a great reminder for me because for a lot of kids, what they know of God is the church. Like when they think of God, they think of physical people. And when you say God is a heavenly father to your child, guess what they think of? They think of their father. They think of their mother. They think of their parents. That's the image of God that is built in their mind at a very young age. Oh, if you're a parent, if you're a part of this church, what a high responsibility we have. We are presenting God. We are representing God to these children. What they know of God will be, yes, what we tell them, but it will also be what we show them with our actions. So along those lines, what I would like to do is uh, point out uh, four kind of values that I think are true of God that we ought to be about representing to our children. We've got to make sure this is a part of our culture as a church. If we want to be a place that parents bring their children and their children begin to see Jesus and are blessed by Jesus. Those values are access, value, patience, and joy. 
The first of which is access. Children need to feel as though they can come freely to us because they can come freely to the throne room of God. Uh, If your children at home walk on eggshells and they're terrified to approach you with their questions, if they feel that they'll be faced with judgment and they avoid coming to you, then how in the world would they ever come to a heavenly father who says they can come to them freely? We must be a place where there is always access. Uh, This is another great illustration from this church that God used to kind of stir my own heart. Uh, Preston Herbst, uh, who's a part of our church, his younger son, Landon, uh, one time, right when we were doing the greeting, you know, everybody's welcoming each other. And I usually come up here and I get my notes ready. And uh, you guys don't bother me, uh, which praise God. No, I'm just kidding. You guys are more than welcome to come say hi to me. But nobody ever does, you know. And uh, But Landon came out of the pew and he came right up here. He came up on the stage and he said, hello, Pastor Blake. And I thought that was so cool because when I grew up in church, uh, I was terrified of the pastor. Like I thought that is a holy man of God. I do not get close to him. I would have never, ever thought it was okay for me to walk up on the stage and say something to the pastor. And I love, I love that we have the church where at least Landon was able to do that. He felt like it was okay to come talk to Pastor Blake right before he preached. That should be the truth for all of the children in this church. I pray that it is. And I pray that it's not just true for me, but it's true for all of you. I want Blakely, she goes up in this church, not to just have me as a resource or her mom as a resource, but I want her to be able to go up to any woman in this church or any man in this church with a question and say, hey, you know, can you help me? You know, hey, Papa Tim or Papa Rick, I need some help with something. I want her to have that kind of feeling, that kind of access with all of us in this church family. And I want that to be true for all of the children in our church. And friends, when you open yourself up in this way, when you are willing to help children, you have no idea what impact you might be making. My favorite preacher is Charles Spurgeon. I love Charles Spurgeon. He did more for the church than, you know, in like five years than I'll do in my entire lifetime, even if I got to live it twice over. And uh, he tells the story of the the person who made the biggest impact on his faith as a kid was when he was in church, there was a a lady that was, uh, she was a poor lady. She worked as a cook at a homeless shelter. And yet every time uh, Charles would go and talk to her, she always made time for him. And she would always tell Charles uh, good things about him. She would tell him what God, what she felt like God was telling her to tell him. And uh, she would talk about the gospel with him. And he said, that lady did more for me than any seminary professor did for me. And friends, that lady had no idea what she was doing. And that's the thing. We have no idea what future president might be in one of these rooms or, or how many preachers might be in some of these rooms around us. You have no idea what kind of impact you are making when you open yourself up to these children and you give them access to your life and you're willing to share wisdom with them. So friends, let us always be people who give the kids access. Now, the second value is uh, that we would value children, that we make sure that they know that they are valued. Uh, I've heard it said, and I believe it is true, especially after my time as being a youth pastor, and that is kids will never care how much you know until they know how much you care. They will never care how much you know. You could tell them until they're blue in the face not to do this or to do this, but they don't care about it unless they know that you care about them. But when they know you love them, they will listen to very hard truths. You know, it's why absent fathers who show back up later in life have very little success in trying to tell their kids what to do. (laughs) You don't love me. You haven't been here. And now you want to act like a father? No, you're not a father. You you, you know, you may have fathered me, but you are not a father. And that is so true in life. If we want our kids to know that what if we want them to know what we're trying to impart to them, they must know first that we love them. Uh, There was a, a study done by Paul Vitz and Paul Johnson. And they did biographical studies over all of the leading atheists, the atheists who, you know, pushed kind of the, the biggest books and the biggest ideas over the last 150 years. And to an atheist, every single one of them, they had this one thing in common. They had a lousy father. Isn't that amazing? They had a father who did not value them. And so how in the world could they come to a God who said he valued them when they had no conception of it? 
We must value our children. We must value them. Uh, th- there are three questions I want us to ask as a church family, and you can ask them for yourself in your uh, own home as a family, that help us think about this idea of value. The first question is, is, will our actions as a church family say that we value buildings and possessions more than them? We have to be very careful of this, especially as a church family who now has a building. We have property. It was not a problem when we had nothing. I did not care what the kids did to the moose lodge. You know why? Because it wasn't mine. It was gross anyways, you know. We're cleaning up the puke from last night. You know, what could a kid do to that place? (laughs) But now we have a building. And we got to be careful. We got to be careful because we can tell kids we love them more than we love the building. But if we do not show them with our actions, they will begin to think, Oh, and it seems like they love the building more than they love me. Uh, there's this uh, cool story about Chuck Smith. He founded the Calvary Chapel movement. Uh, and, and really, his movement took off in the 60s and 70s with what was called the Jesus Movement. And the Jesus Movement was basically all these hippies in California began to come to Jesus Christ. And uh, you know, it's it a cool movement of God that happened. And they were overflowing these warehouses. Well, eventually, they, they began to get enough money to kind of build a building. And... Uh, you know, what happened one of the first Sundays that Chuck Smith showed up uh, at the, their new building was he came in. He came in where the sanctuary uh, was and there was a sign on the door that said, uh, do not please do not come in if you do not if you're not wearing shoes, something along that lines. I guess the hippies in California were coming in shoeless, carrying their sand in. And uh, some deacon thought that this was a really bad thing to happen. Uh, Chuck Smith took the sign off of the door. He walked up to the pulpit and he started the service. And he said, if I ever see a sign like this again, I will personally rip the carpet out of this building. Because we are not worried about dirty feet. We are worried about dirty souls. Amen. See, he had the right priority. And I'm afraid that we can often, and not us, because I don't think we have yet. But I'm just saying, as a church family, we can, we can lose our focus. We can begin to care more about clean floors than we do dirty souls. And that ought never to be true. And you say, well, Blake, okay, I believe that. But what happens the first time a, an eight-year-old comes in here, a six-year-old, running around, acting like a monkey because that's what eight-year-old boys are, uh, with a cup of Kool-Aid, and he spills the Kool-Aid all over the carpet that we put in here? That's when it'll really show up. Am I going to yell at him and rip his head off because he spilled Kool-Aid? Well, if I do, what am I saying? I'm saying I value this carpet more than I value you. Or am I going to say, you know what? It's just carpet. There's carpet cleaners. We can, and if it's a stain... Oh, well, you know, the world's not going to end. And friends, in your own home lives, dads, because I think it's harder for us. You know, we tend to like our, our toys. Uh, do, do your kids know that you love them more than you love your car? Now, right now, I have it very easy. Subaru, I don't care. I don't care what anybody does to it. I'm hoping somebody crashes into it so I can get a new one with insurance money. Please, Lord, make it happen. <laughs> but one day, I pray to God, you know, I would like to have a nicer vehicle one day. I'm going to save up, buy it debt-free. I'd, li- I'd, I'd like to do that. I think that'd be cool. And what i got to be careful of is when I get a nicer vehicle, that I don't begin to do things that make Blakely think I like my truck more than I like her. And it's very easy to do, isn't it? You know, I can say, I love you more than my truck. But do my actions show it? Do my actions show it? Do my actions show that I value her? So that's the first one. Will our actions show that we value buildings more than them? Second, will our metrics for success say that we value them? You know, what do we count as success? And as a church family, this is important. And it's something I think about way more than you guys think about. You don't think about it at all. But I've got to make reports to church planning agencies. And I've got church planner and pastor friends. And, and it's very easy for me to measure the success of our church by attendance and money. You know, nickels and noses. That's, that's kind of the, you know, how much money did you guys make? And how many people do you have showing up to the church? And, that's, you know, we should count those things. It's important. You know, if nobody's here except for my grandma, Wendy, probably should shut the place down. Something's not going right. Uh, so we ought to count attendance, and, and money is important because the world runs on money. But those cannot be our leading metrics for success. 
They're just kind of things off to the side. Because if those become my leading metrics for success, I can do a lot of things and not be a faithful church. You know, I, I could give away a Harley Davidson and I'd have all the men in Northwest Oklahoma show up to church on a Sunday and our attendance would be really high. But they wouldn't be here for Jesus. They'd be here for the Harley Davidson. My numbers would look really good if that was my goal. And I, I could get up here and, and begin to tell you guys that you're going to hell if you don't give your money. And I could really just, you know, pound the pulpit on it. And you guys probably would give more because I'd make you feel guilty. And and yet, would it be a healthy church? No, you could have high attendance, you could have high money, telling people what they want to hear, but they don't actually know Jesus. And is that what we want? Is that what we really value? No. So we've got to have a better value of success. And here's kind of what I've come to the conclusion of. Here's what I value as success. And it's a long-term game. In 20 years, 30 years, what I pray is that the kids who are in there have kids in there. What I mean by that is that the children that we have that we're raising up in there love this church so much that they don't want to go anywhere else. They don't want to have to go find somewhere else. But we would have multiple generations that, you know, my, uh, Ellie and Maddie, my two uh, cousins up here. And I would love the day in which I get to be at their wedding and perform their wedding. And then one day, well, before that, I'd like to baptize them and then be at their wedding. And then one day they have their kids in one of these rooms and they're up here. Uh, my, my cousin, John Royce, you know, he's a he's got a lot of energy. I love the boy and I can't wait to see him become a godly man. And I would love the day that he's standing behind this pulpit and I'm sitting out there and I'm watching him. That looks like success to me. I mean, we might have 50 people. We might have 500 people. But if, if we have a multiple generation church, I will think that is success as I look out on it. Wouldn't that be cool? Like my, my ultimate goal is you know, 35 years from now or whatever it is that I have my grandchildren in this church and they are serving and they're a part of this church. When that happens, I can just crawl off into the woods and die. I'll be done. You know, that is what I see as successful for a church family. And, and when I think about my own family, personally, as a dad, I look at like uh, Junior Zollinger, my grandfather, I love, my grandfather-in-law. I love going to their Christmas uh, every, every December because their family is, is so awesome. All of his adult children believe in Jesus. All of his grandchildren believe in Jesus. And, and now he gets to see even a great-grandchild. And uh, it, what a blessing from the Lord to see all of your family there all loving each other. You know, a lot of Christmas uh, gatherings of families, you don't have a lot of love. You know, the families are there because they have to. It's like, if you weren't blood, I wouldn't love you. And I don't want that. I want, to, I want my family to love Jesus and love each other for multiple generations. I like what Andy Stanley says. He says, you know, my goal as a parent is that my kids will want to come home when they don't have to come home anymore. <laughs> I think that's such a good kind of goal to have as a parent, that they would still love you enough that when they're their own adults, they want to come over for dinner. Not because they have to anymore, but because they actually like being around you. They know you value them and they know you love them. So what's our success metric? And then the last question on this is, will our budget say that we value them? As a youth pastor, it really bothered me that people would say they valued the youth and we had to fundraise for everything. You know, the pastor had to get up there and, and youth pastor had to get up there and get a pie in the face so that people would give 50 bucks. But if the men's ministry wanted to have a men's breakfast, by golly, we would buy the bacon for them. And I always thought, well, what are you saying to the youth? What are you saying to the children? Well, you're telling them with your wallet what you actually value. And what I love about Ascent is we value children with our budget. It's why as a church, we did something I've never heard of other church doing. And that is we let every kid go to Falls Creek for free. We let every kid go to kids camp for free. Why? Because we don't just say we value children. We're going to value them with where our heart is. And that is with our budget. That is with our, our money. Uh, next one. And I'll, I'll go quicker on these. I spent way too much time on that one. Uh, patience. Sometimes I wish I didn't have a clock up here. I mean, I would just go for hours, but I'm not going to do that to you guys. Uh, the first value is access. The second one is value. The third one is patience. Uh, pay attention to me real close here. If you ever say that a kid is acting immature, I want you to know something. 
They're supposed to be immature. It always cracks me up when I see a parent talking to their six-year-old, telling them to be more mature. (laughs) What do you think? They're six. By definition, they are immature. And we have to remember that. And it is so hard for us grumpy old people sometimes. You know, when a kid is being annoying and they're talking and they're loud and they're immature, we can often just get really annoyed with them and forget that we were once that loud kid. You know, the reason why we are mature is because we were once immature and people were patient enough with us to keep teaching us things until we became mature adults. Some of us. Ask my wife. She might might think that I never really became mature. (laughs) We have to be patient with the kids. Let me give you a really practical one. When kids are loud in the service, when they're crying in the service, it is very difficult to focus. And sometimes it can be very difficult to have patience with the children. And I get it. I'm up here talking. You guys have no idea how hard it is for me to get complete sentences out when it's quiet. When, when somebody is yelling in my ear on this side and a kid is running around in circles on this side, it, it is a miracle that you guys understand anything that I am saying. I, I get it more than anybody else. I promise you I do. And yet what I have to remind myself is, is that if I want a church without crying babies or kids running around like wild, I need to go to a church that is dead or about to be dead. Because in those churches, it's silent. There are no children there. Children are a blessing. Now, I'm not saying that as a parent, you can't use that as an opportunity to discipline your child and teach them how to set up in church and be smart about it. You know, but you don't want your child to hate church. You don't want them the whole time to be like, you know, grabbing them by the ear and pulling their hair up on their head. You know, the whole time they're hating coming to this place because we can't be patient with a little immaturity. As your pastor, I'm telling you, I can be patient with a little immaturity. Now, if you want to take your screaming child out for a minute... I will bless the Lord for you for that also. But we can handle a little bit of immaturity at this church because we need to be patient. And friends, if you ever fail to be patient, remember how patient God is with you. You're a knucklehead. You cry and you whine. He's tried to teach you lessons over and over and over and over and over again, and you still have not learned them. And does he give up on you? No, he is slow to wrath and he is abundant in mercy. Let us have the patience of God with the children in this church. And at home, which is much more difficult. And the last one is, uh, not the last one, the the next one is discipline. Uh, We need to discipline our kids in the way that God disciplines his children. Uh, Proverbs 13, 24 says that a man who does not discipline his child hates his child. Discipline is a part of parenting and discipline is a part of this church. We do want to teach kids respect. but We want to discipline them in the way that God disciplines us, the way God disciplines his children. And the first way that God does that is we must know that his motive is for our good. God never disciplines us because he's annoyed with us or because his life would be easier. He doesn't do that. It's, it's not like sometimes the way we discipline. You know, my kid's making a fool of himself in the restaurant and I'm embarrassed. So I'm going to discipline him so he stops embarrassing me. That's not the way God disciplines. God disciplines when it's going to help the child, when it is good for the kid, not when it's bad for the parent's reputation. And we have to be very careful with our motives. Because in the heat of parenting and in the heat of the church life, when a kid is losing his ever-loving mind, we might get to the point where we are disciplining him for our own good and not for the good of the child. Uh, Number two is the method that God uses, and this is really important, is usually a passive kind of discipline. In other words, it's God allowing us to have what we want. God doesn't spank us very often. God says, okay, you want to eat 3,000 cookies before you go to bed? Eat the cookies and see how how it happens for you. Uh, I love the way Romans 128 says it, talking about God's wrath, God's discipline. It says, since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose. That is so true. You know the ways that God has disciplined me the most in my life? Is when he's allowed me to have what I want. God, please, 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 please. Fine, Blake, have it. God, please take it back. You know, I didn't know what I wanted. 
I think the great theologian Garth Brooks is the one who said, thank God for unanswered prayers. Sometimes he answers the prayers and we wish that he hadn't. That's the way that God disciplines us. Now, how does this play out? Well, as your kid gets older, you know, sometimes what I see parents do is they double punish their child. Their child does something at school, like they forget homework. Uh, and, uh, and so they punish, the child gets punished at school and then the child comes home and they're punished at home as well. Well, that doesn't help anything. A better way to discipline your child in that scenario is what I see a lot of parents do is, you know, they'll, they'll yell at their child. They'll then pick up the homework and they take the homework to the child and they say, here's your homework. And they save them, you know, they bell them out at school, but then they get in trouble at home. A much better way to do it would probably be sometimes to say, you know what? That's on you. You left your homework at home. Face the consequences at school. And then you come home. You don't have to face consequences at home because you've already faced the consequences for your sin. And this is the way we ought to parent as we get older, as our kids get older and older. Now, when they're younger, you have to use physical force, right? You know, a two-year-old doesn't understand why he can't run into the road and you can't sit there and let him understand the consequences. You've got to manually pick the kid up. But as they get older, we need to discipline more and more the way that God disciplines us with a passive discipline. And we must always remember that as with God, discipline is an opportunity for grace. What a great opportunity to teach them the mercy of God when your kid really, really deserves it. And you say, I'm going to show you mercy. Uh, I heard a story uh, yesterday at one of uh, my family. Uh, my family had a Christmas deal where we got together. And uh, my grandma's husband, uh, Jerome, I don't know if I'm supposed to share this story or not, but I'm, I'm going to. We're already down the road, so don't tell him. Uh, he talked about a time where he wrecked his dad's 1960 uh, Ford Thunderbird. And uh, he said that, you know, these, he was a teenager. These kids came up. They wanted to race. And he was smart. He said, no, I'm not going to race. Well, after they drove off, he said, I decided I wanted to race. So he stepped on the throttle, tried to catch him. He spun out in, the, in the, the rain, and he totaled the car. And he said his dad picked him up, and he was terrified. First off, he was terrified to even tell his dad, and his dad just happened to be driving down the road right after the wreck and, and saw him. So he's like, oh, crap, you know, God's in on it too. And uh, <laughs> so he gets in the car with his dad, and he said his, his dad is silent. Which, by the way, parents, sometimes silence is, is way more scary than actually telling what's on your mind. And uh, he's, he's just waiting for the hammer to drop, waiting for the hammer to drop. Well, eventually his dad says, did you learn any lessons from this son? And, he, and Jerome talked to him for a minute and he said, I'm just glad that you're okay. And that's a story that he still remembers. There's this huge opportunity for discipline. And what did he receive? Mercy. But friends, what does God do for us? Do we deserve punishment? Yes. What do we get? Grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. Amen. Make sure your kids know this, that it's not foreign to them. Because they've never seen it in you. How can you tell them about a God who's merciful if you never show mercy? Discipline. The last one here is uh, joy. Uh, Psalm 122.1 says, uh, I rejoiced. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I am so grateful for the First Baptist Woodward Sunday school teachers who taught me when I was a child. But I never once rejoiced when they told me, let us go to the house of the Lord. It was more like, do I have to go to the house of the Lord? <laughs> Please. We, we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday prayer breakfast. Please, can we stay home? And, and I rejoiced when they said we didn't have to go. And so one of the greatest compliments you can give me as a pastor is not when you tell me that you like my sermons. Although, I, you know, I hope that you do. And I, I appreciate it when you guys encourage me with that. The, the greatest compliment you give me, though, is when you tell me, man, my kids were so upset that we missed church because we went on vacation. <laughs> That's awesome. Kids who would rather be at church than on vacation. We have one. That is what we want. We want them to rejoice that they get to come to the house of the Lord. This should be a place of total joy because we say God is a place of total joy. You know, growing up, I, I kind of thought I would rather spend eternity at the dentist office rather than heaven. I mean, 
it did not sound fun to me at all because I had viewed it as this lifelong church service. Not lifelong, eternity-long church service. I was like, well, I guess that's better than hell, but I don't really want to go there either. And, and what I pray is that your children, as they grow up in this church, not just on Sundays, but as they grow up, as they come to family meals, as they come to cookouts, as they're part of this family, they go, I could do this for eternity. It'd be awesome to do that for eternity. I believe inflatables are good for your child's spiritual health. That's why we have them sometimes. That's why we have parties for the kiddos. You might think, well, they need to be in there and be catechized in the ways of the Lord. And I want to say to you, your child's going to hate the Lord if that's all we do. No, no, we need to have fun. We need to have joy. Kids like Jesus, otherwise they wouldn't have been coming to him. You think Jesus was, you know, this looked like he sucked on a pickle all the time, just sour face? <laughs> that's quite the image, isn't it? No. Obviously, there was something joyful about Jesus. People wanted to be around him. People should want to be around us. There should be some joy in us. And as parents, we have to be very careful that we do not relate all these great truths about God with all this boring stuff that we can do. You know, I heard a, a pastor's kid talking. I'm really interested in pastor's kids who grow up and love Jesus and love the church because I'm really frightened to mess it up. You know, I've, I've heard too many stories of pastor's kids who hate Jesus and hate the church. And uh, this pastor's kid loved Jesus. And so I was really interested. I'm like, I want to do what your dad did. He seemed like to do, do a good job. And he talked about how one of the, the best things he did for his children, I think it's good for all of us who want to be Christian parents, is he would always relate the, the joys of the Lord in joyful ways. In ways that he didn't even think of. So they would, you know, they would do a family study and they would talk about how God gives us immeasurably more than what we could you know, ask or imagine. And he said, you know, that was kind of our theme for the month as a family. And I came home one time and I asked my dad what a Philly cheesesteak sandwich was because <laughs> he had never heard of one. And his, his dad said, well, I could take him to Subway and I could get him a Philly cheesesteak sandwich. Or I could give him immeasurably more than he asked for. And so his dad went in and he bought uh, tickets to a Phillies game. Tickets to Philadelphia, and they went and they flew. He surprised him, and they flew out to Philadelphia together. They ate at the best Philly cheesesteak sandwich uh, shop that there was in Philadelphia, and they went out to a Phillies game the next day. And he said, now this is exactly how God loves you. He gives you immeasurably more than what you ask for and, and what you expect. Well, friends, do you think that message stuck in his mind? <laughs> yeah, if he's sitting at a kitchen table with his, do- with his dad, and his dad says, memorize this first, son. Okay, God gives you more than what you could ever imagine. Okay, that's one thing. But, hey, I said, what's a Philly cheesesteak cheese sandwich? And my dad went above and beyond. He took me to Philadelphia, and he bought me a sandwich. And he talked about how his dad uh, would talk about how God was generous with them. And he never, ever wanted them to feel like, uh, you know, that their dad spending money on them was kind of like a sacrifice. He said, no, this God gave me my money so that I could lavish things upon you. So we would go to Disney World, and we would go to Disneyland. But his dad would always relate it to this idea that I'm supposed to love you in this way because this is how your heavenly father loves you. He gives you things you do not deserve and he lavishes things upon you. That's a good dad. That's a good mom. Those are good parents who do those kind of things. And those are kids who grow up to love Jesus. You know why? Because they've seen a picture of him. You know, they don't just hear about Jesus. They know what it sounds like. So when the preacher like me gets up and I say something about God loving you, something about God being generous towards you, the kids who have never experienced from their parents, it's foreign to them. The greatest thing we have to offer as the church is relationship with a heavenly father. But if you have a terrible relationship with your earthly father, that doesn't even sound like good news, does it? No. But when our kids know we love them and they've experienced it and they have a good dad and a good mom. And I stand up here and I say, you get a heavenly father who loves you even more than your earthly parents. They say, well, sign me up because my parents are awesome and my church is awesome. And so if it's even better then sign me up. So those are the, the some of the values I could go on for days, but. That would not be very nice to you guys to do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close it there. Lacey, if you, guys, if you want to go ahead and come up, 
we'll close in singing. But I want to I talk about the thing that I think is actually probably most important for us as a church and as parents in closing. And that is that we ourselves tend to our own faith. That we are passionate worshipers of God ourselves. Uh, if you've ever been to a church where it was more like a funeral than it was a wedding, you know what I'm talking about. It's not very exciting, is it? It's not very inspiring when you walk in and Brother John's barely moving his top lip during the songs and everybody's falling asleep during the sermon because the pastor doesn't even care about what he's talking about. One thing here, I promise you, is there's going to be at least one passionate guy about the, the text of God, and that's going to be me. I will yell and be excited, and I can't help it because I, I want that excitement to go, show forth because I think we all ought to be excited. This is good news news. And when you walk into a church and you see people worshiping, people who actually love Jesus, it's not just a thing for them, but they actually love, like that guy really believes what he's saying. He's really raising his hands in worship. He's, he's really singing to the Lord. Man, there's something about that that is infectious. And I want my daughter to grow up and I want her to think of every woman in this church and go, man, every woman I look up to, they love Jesus. They really love Jesus. They really worship Jesus. And I want all of our kids to look around this church and to see people who really actually love Jesus. And if you do not want to be a, a white hot worshiper of God, go somewhere else. Go to a dead church. I mean, I, I would rather have 20 people who actually love Jesus in this place than 200 people who did not. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart because I think it's better for us that way. I really, really do. And I'm not telling you to manufacture something in yourself. You know, well, I, I got to raise my hand. You know, I'm not, I'm not telling you to do that. What I'm telling you to do is to look at Jesus. Because if you look at Jesus and it doesn't do something to your soul, if it doesn't make you want to cry out in excitement, then you're not looking correctly at Jesus. Because you are dead, and now you're alive in Christ. You've been raised. You've been seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus Christ. You've been given heaven when you deserve hell. And if that doesn't make you want to sing loudly, if that doesn't make you want to raise your hands like you would at a Friday night football game, then I do not think you understand what I am saying. So I'm not asking you to manufacture it. I'm saying let us be people who actually look at Jesus. Because if we do, we will be worshipers. And when we worship, the children in our church will see us and they will worship. It's the same reason why, and I'm really closing here, I promise. It's the same reason why I cheer for losing football teams. You know, I hate my father because because of him, because of his passion, I cheer for the Dallas Cowboys and the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And, and I've, never seen, I've never seen what it feels like to be a winner at anything. But because he was passionate about it, guess what? Little Blake became passionate about it. And now I can't shake it. I can't get rid of it. Now, if that is true about a sports team, how much more so true should it be about God? Let me pray for us. Father, we want children in this church to be blessed by you. God, we desperately want it. And we do not want to be like the disciples who get in the way because we fail to represent you well. God, what a shame would it be if kids thought of God in a distorted way because of us. No, God, may it not be so. May we be people who worship Jesus so much that we're conformed to his image. And we love like he loved. We have joy like he had joy. And we imparted that to our children. Jesus, please make it be so. Friends, if you would, take, your, take about 20 seconds, eyes closed, head bowed, and just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message?